You know I've been on this sermon series, Understanding God, uh, and this is part five of that ongoing series. And if you want to get any that you've missed, if you go to the website, you'll be able to get them. I think it'll touch your heart, and you can tell your friends about it as well, as we really try to drill down so that we really have a fervent understanding of who God is. What, are, what is his expectation of us? How do we develop those relationships? And so today we're going to talk about understanding the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. And so here's the deal. So often as you walk through life, look back and think about the ways you've messed it up. Not just you, me included. We've messed it up because we thought we had a better way. We thought we understood things. After all, we're well-educated, we're well-trained. Who would know better than us, right? Who would know better than us how effectively to make the major decisions in our lives? And when I talk about that, I talk about decisions like who we're going to marry, who we're going to go into business with, uh, whether we're going to buy a house or where that house is located, where we go to church. It goes on and on and on. And so many of us have been like lone rangers and deciding we don't need help from God to give us wisdom. We can do it on our own. And there's nothing sadder, frankly, than thinking that you can do that and make that decision and then looking back and saying, boy, I wish I'd asked God. I wish I'd asked God. And that's what this is all about. And so I want to start by citing scriptures, Romans chapter 11, Romans 11, verse 33, which speaks to this issue where Paul says in his writings, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. How incredible the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. When you walk with God over a lifetime, you recognize that his wisdom is so deep and so profound that we could never even begin to scratch the surface. And so here's what it tells us. It tells us that the wisdom of God will provide the best possible answer in your life. It'll affect the most people in the most positive way. Think about what a difference your life would have if you entrusted him in every decision that you made. Imagine the peace that you would have, knowing that you gave it to him and that whatever decision you made, it was his decision, and you knew that he was sailing the ship. You would then know that any problem that you faced in life, that God would have foreseen it, and that whatever his determination was, it was a Romans 8.28 moment, meaning what he does for us will work out for our best. It's incredible to understand this. Uh, and so when you realize this, you realize that when you give him this, when you bow to him, that he is orchestrating every single event in your life. Here's the thing, folks. We have trouble finding our car in the parking lot. <laughs> or maybe it's just me. But you know you have trouble finding your car in the parking lot. And so now you want to make a decision on the most important things in your life when you can only see maybe 50 feet down the road. And he sees the beginning of time and the end of time all at once. Can you imagine? As if it's a parade. 
He knows the beginning and he knows the end. He knows what is best for you. And so can you imagine turning your life over to him? Every decision that you make, you don't make on your own, but you make based on his, his decision, his wisdom, his prayer. And so wisdom means, and it's under, you need to understand really what wisdom means, it means using someone using knowledge and experience. It's not just being smart. It's being smart with knowledge and experience. That's wisdom. Uh, and Proverbs tells us uh, that uh, knowledge and wisdom is rooted in fearing God, the ultimate source of wisdom. There it is. That's what it's about. And when we say fear God, we don't mean trembling fear. We mean respecting God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God, knowing this. So now imagine, and that's what this sermon is about, that you would take every decision in your life and bow before the throne and ask for wisdom. Uh, and the best way to go through life is to repudiate your own wisdom and instead incorporate the wisdom of God in everything you do. And when you do that, your life will be changed. God has charged himself with your eternal happiness. He stands ready, you see, to take over the very management of your life. He's ready to do it. Will you allow him to do it? And so now how often do we take God at his word in the way we live? And this is a question you need to ask yourself. And, that, and here's some of the things you need to think about it. When we face illnesses that don't go away, or biopsies that are not good, that don't make sense, uh, relationships, marriages that don't last, uh, wouldn't it be a relief that whenever you made decisions as you go through these things that you bowed before the throne of God and trusted God for what he's doing. Can you imagine how your life would be changed, how empowered you would have, knowing that God is in control and working for your good? And so here's the thing. This requires a knowledgeable move on our part. It, it requires us to say, yes, Lord, I will listen to you. Yes, Lord, I will pray to you. Yes, Lord, I will read scripture. Yes, Lord, I will seek wisdom from, from godly people. I will bow in all things to you. I will stop making a mess of my own life, and I will bow to your wisdom. Now, here's the thing, you see. Our lives are like pebbles dropped in a lake uh, in which the ripples go out endlessly and affect hundreds of other people. Now think about your own life and the decisions that you've made. Think about how that's affected other people. I mean, just take a look at, at decisions that are made with divorces in which marriages are broken up. Think about the residue of those decisions, how children are affected, uh, how other relatives are affected. Think about all that. And think about if, in fact, you had bowed before God and let God speak into your life before you made some of these decisions that have tragic results knowing that he has a plan for you, knowing that he has put you here in this fallen world. We are surrounded by evil. We are surrounded by sin, and yet he holds us in the palm of his hands. We know this. Now, will you let him guide you? Will you let him decide what those decisions ought to be made? Because he will make them in the most profound way. Only God, you see, can make the wisest choice. But the problem is we don't ask for wisdom. We don't do it. We think we've got it covered. 
After all, we're educated, we're well-known, we have, we have a good understanding of our own perspective. We don't need God to weigh in on these things. It's almost like we're saying, God, I'm going to church on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I got it covered. I got it. I'm smart. I've been successful. I've got it covered. Come Sunday, I'm going to go and worship you, but I'm not yet ready to turn over my life to you. You know, uh, one of the things that I always thought was laughable when I see these posters on the back of a car that said, God is my co-pilot. My response is, then you're a moron. (laughs) God is your co-pilot? He should be in the seat. He should have the steering wheel, and you should be next to him just praying that he continues to stay in control of the ship. Isn't that true? And how many of us are living our lives like that, thinking that we make the best decisions? And this message is not just about what I call spiritual decisions. This message is about all of the decisions of your life. You're going to buy a house. Ask God if it's the right house. You're going to make a move about a job. Ask God if it's the right move for a job. You're going to send your children to school. Ask God for where the school ought to be. Don't begin to make any decision in your life unless you've prayed about it. And ask God for wisdom. Why wouldn't the creator of the universe, who sent his son to the cross for you, why wouldn't he love you so much that he would speak wisdom into your life? And if you ever want to see a good part of the Bible where this issue comes out, read the last couple of chapters of Job. I've already spoken about that in this series, where Job and his pals are, are, you know, basically chastising God about what he's doing, about what his plans are, until finally God turns on them and basically said, where were you? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you when I created the ocean? Where were you when I set the boundary lines of the earth? Where were you? And the answer is, I was nowhere. I was nowhere. Understanding that. Understanding that that's the power of the wisdom of God. And that's the point. That's what this message is about, that you understand this. God's wisdom as is, are as pure and loving as they possibly could be. He loves you so much. And though even though it looks like at times you're going through things that don't make sense to you, when you bow to him and you say, Father, I have trust in you. I've turned my life over to you. I have the confidence to know that you are controlling this ship in every way, and I will live that way under your rule. Now look, God has revealed his wisdom Uh, to humanity in a number of ways, and this is important. Uh, He's revealed it, first of all, through creation, so that everyone in the world is without an excuse. If one ponders the creation and the workings of the creation, you will be absolutely amazed, beginning with the very subatomic particles of, of matter that are held together interstitially by the power of God up to the greatest, most magnificent aspects of the cosmos. He put it all together. And frankly, it requires more faith to think that it happened by accident than it does to know that a God did it on his own. And that's what you need to understand. The more we consider this, and we consider the greatness 
of his creation, the more we appreciate the wisdom of God in terms of what he has done. Look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's as if the heavens put on a show demonstrating the wisdom and glory of God every single day. Look at Psalm 104, which speaks also to that issue. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Now imagine how finely tuned and balanced the creation is. We know that the earth sits on a certain tilt. If that tilt were one degree off, one degree off, what would happen would be half the world would be frozen and the other half would be on fire. And yet God knew it. And so as he created everything, he put the earth on a perfect tilt so that this world would be a perfect place to see nature and the handiwork of God in every way. Look, even the human body itself is a marvel of creation. In many ways, the body is designed to heal itself. And when you drill down and, and you look uh, at the DNA, the very smallest part of the human body, you would see that a single cell, if taken apart, would stretch for miles, for miles. And then I laugh when I see the efforts of technolo technology to produce artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. God created intelligence when he created man. There's no computer that can compare to the mind of man, the decisions that are man made, the artistry of man, the ability to produce works of art, the, the ability to prepare music and compose music, the ability to think about so many deep-seated things. Uh, all of that comes from a brain and a mind invented by God and created by God. These computers do not come close. Now, God, you see, besides creation, has also revealed his wisdom through divine providence. Uh, and divine providence means that he sees the future from now. He knows everything. It's a theological term meaning that he knows what's best for you. Uh, and he brings all things together for your good. Romans 8, 28. Now, as he does this, the Lord has power over history. Uh, and our worldview is that we recognize that God controls history. He controls history. He controls nations. Look at Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. God controls every government in this world. They don't realize it. They think they're in control, even though Satan sits there at the right hand of most of these governments. But at the end of the day, God is still in control. Look, look if you would, at the, the flow of history. History is littered with powerful nations that rule the world for a period of time until God brought the curtain down. Uh, and you see it in the Bible. You see the Persians who came in 
and conquered Israel. Then you see the Greeks who conquered the Persians. Then you see the Romans uh, who conquered the Greeks. And then you see in a modern period of time the Nazis who had designs on conquering the world and Hitler who looked like he could not be stopped. And yet seemingly in the midst of this world domination movement, when they had everything going right, Hitler decided to go into Russia. Now, why would he decide to go into Russia when everything would come apart? I believe it's because God allowed him to do that, knowing that this is what happens when you rely on your own will and your own mind, and everything came apart, and the Nazi party came apart, and eventually Hitler was totally destroyed. But yet, you see, there's a thread that runs through history that you cannot deny. And that is the fact that there's a chosen people called Israel who have survived all those national attacks that I've just delineated to you for centuries. And then in 1948, God allowed them to have their own nation. God has pledged himself to the Jewish people, pledged himself to that country so that they have survived century upon century upon century that they've been feasted upon by these other nations, yet they survive under the sovereignty and the power and the wisdom of God because God promised Abraham, you are my people. What a powerful statement again of the wisdom and power of God. Now God also reveals his wisdom through the plan of redemption. Uh, from the very foundations of the earth, from the time of creation, God knew that we would need a savior. God knew that we would fall. God knew we would be in rebellion. And God knew that that rebellion had to be judged because he is holy, because the justice of God demands a payment. God does not ignore sin. He never will. Uh, and so there had to be a perfect sacrifice. And so in the wisdom of God, he provided that perfect sacrifice in his son, Jesus Christ. And now here's the rest of that story, and I want you to reflect on this. The dark forces of the world are here, and they see what God is doing with Jesus, and it caught them off guard. They scoffed, and they laughed when they saw the Son of God coming in a manger. They scoffed and they laughed when they saw a 16-year-old girl being his mother in a manger and a poor carpenter being his father. They scoffed a carpenter's boy, this poor mother being the Son of God. And so they schemed to destroy Jesus as he grew up like a regular Boy, And finally, they succeeded when Jesus went to the cross. They had trumped up charges against Jesus, even though Jesus willingly and voluntarily went to the cross. The forces of evil schemed against him and were joyful at the time that he was there on the cross, that they had killed cross. However, however, in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, that it was better that one might die so that all of humanity would be saved as long as one was the perfect sacrifice 
for that voluntary price. His enemies had it all wrong. Jesus conquered death and proclaimed victory over all of his enemies. That is the wisdom of God. All of this came about precisely as God had ordained it. Now, the ultimate picture of God's wisdom is Christ himself. And you look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 30. It says there, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It is the wisdom of God that he gave us this, this way to be redeemed. Christ is the veritable wisdom from God. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. And he is our redemption in every way. And so if you want to understand how your life ought to work, get connected to Jesus and follow him because then you will be right next to the wisdom of the heart of God in every aspect of your life. Now, not only will Christ affect you internally, but his wisdom will overflow into other people, into your family, into your friends. Look at James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wouldn't you want to live your life like that? Wouldn't you want your family to look at you and say those things about you, that because of the wisdom of God that's flowed into your life, all of these qualities flow out of you? Not only does it affect your wife and your children, it affects your church, it affects your country club, it affects your friends. In every possible way, the wisdom of God permeates out. And so what happens is when you begin to love this wisdom from God, it produces awesome relationships. Because now you see God in every one of those relationships. And you see the glory to God in those relationships. And the peace of God permeates you in every way. So how, you see, how do we respond to the wisdom of God. When God allows circumstances in our lives, no matter how many relationships or other factors that we have, he knows all the things about all the people at all the time. Every single thing that you will go through as a Christian, God knows about it in advance. And there's a plan in your life that God has orchestrated. He has great things in mind for you. And here's the thing, unfortunately, you can know all about God's wisdom mentally, but fail to benefit from it because of a weakness in the heart. How does it work, you see, when husbands and wives are not getting along? How does it work when I'm in a financial crisis? How do I respond to everything that God allows in my life, including sickness and broken relationships? Uh, and the answer is that we have to learn to live wisely. And I want to share a personal experience in my life that I hope you'll find uplifting and truthful. Uh, in 1986, I moved my law firm into the city of Montclair, and I built an office building. 
It was a very nice building in which my firm occupied the second floor. On the first floor, we had tenants, including a bank. And, and that building blessed us. God gave me that building. It, was, it worked for years. But over the last four or five years, as I got deeper into ministry and realized that God had called me to be the pastor of this church, and that at the same time I'd walked away from the practice of law, the building became a drain on me. I couldn't manage it properly. I wasn't going up on a regular basis. I was suffering vacancies, and it was weighing me down. And so without speaking to my wife, and that generally is a problem, <laughs> but in this case, I got on my knees and I said, God, Lord, I ask you, Father, if it is within your perfect will, this building that you have given me is now a drain and an obstacle to me in ministry. It is taking my mind off the things that I need to be concentrating on to advance your work. If it's your will, God, I ask that you bring a buyer to me without me going to a real estate broker so that I will know it's your will. Now, I know this doesn't make the real estate brokers in the church happy, but that was my prayer because I felt it was the only way that I truthfully could know the wisdom of God. Well, guess what? In three weeks, somebody came completely unsolicited and offered me a price much more than I thought the building was worth. And that building was sold because I bowed to the will of God. It wasn't John Garippa's decision. It was God's decision. And I knew from the very moment he would bless it. And that's the nature of your life. This is how you have to learn how to live in your life. All the countless decisions that you need to make. You need to ask him for wisdom. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is in your life. This is what it's all about. Understand his will. Now, living wisely means living in accordance with God's word. It means living a holy life. It means reading the Bible. It means aligning yourself in every way to the Spirit of God. And here's the thing. If you are not walking in God's wise path, consider the hardships that you're suffering as the guardrails of life. How's that? The guardrails of life. You may be feeling pain. You may be suffering from some of these decisions. And what I would say to you, God has put up a guardrail to protect you so that when you bounce off those guardrails, you'll come back and recognize that you need to be within the center of God's will. Amen, church? It's important to understand this, the guardrails of, God, of life. God wants you to know that he has something better, more profound, and he wants to deliver those instructions clearly to you. We have to understand how important wise, godly living is every single day. It begins first with a reverence for God. Look at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is where it all begins, that we bow to God in every issue of our life. Effectively, this means that you recognize him as the creator of the universe, the, the absolute boss of everything that takes place, uh, and holy in every possible way. You then submit, you see, to his authority in every part of your life. This process begins with an important step of faith. It begins in recognizing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It begins with recognizing the free gift of salvation. There is no wisdom without salvation. You understand? There is no wisdom without salvation. Uh, and for us, this is an immutable truth that goes on. And second, wise living grows by receiving his word. Uh, God gives us wisdom, but he does not give it in a vacuum, you see. His wisdom comes through his word. It comes through studying and reading the scriptures. And so as you study and read the scriptures, as you ask for wisdom, he gives it to you through the Holy Spirit. Now, wise living requires that we ask for wisdom specifically. This is a request that you must make. Father, direct my paths. Teach my paths. Help me to understand, Lord, that this issue that I have is within your will and that you're in charge of my life. When we ask God for wisdom, he will give you wisdom. He will do it through his word. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I love that verse. I love it. He gives wisdom without finding fault. You know, God is not like somebody else. If you go and ask him for an opinion in your life, if you've made a couple of dumb moves, who will say, now, now you come to me? Right? Now you come to me after you've made a mess of things? God doesn't do that. He, when you come to him in love and respect, God honors you. And he pours the wisdom into your life. And he will direct your paths. And so wise living involves trusting God completely. Uh, and I would say that this is a lesson that I've learned in my life over the past 30 years. That I will not make a move in any way without asking for the will of God. This very church is evidence of the will of God, as I wanted to know, Father, is it your will that I be the pastor of this church? Is it will? And he spoke clearly to me, uh, clearly to me. And I think he spoke clearly, clearly to you also as he's driven you and brought you here. This is the wisdom of God. This is the love of God in such an incredible way. And you see it every way. And so think about your own life right now. Think about the issues that you're struggling with. Uh, what would it look like if you had decided right now that you're turning everything over to him? That from this day forward, every aspect of your life will be governed by him. That you no longer will be a lone ranger. That no decision in your life will be made without bowing to him and asking him. Now, here's the thing, and this is important, because you're not going to hear this on television. God has never promised us 
a trouble-free life. Get that out of your head. I don't want you to think that, oh, I'm a Christian. I let, let that red carpet go down. I'm going to walk on that carpet strewn with rosebuds right into heaven. That's false. That's false theology. You want proof of that? Open the New Testament. Look at the first 12 guys that walked with Jesus. Did they have a trouble-free life? All 12 of them were martyred. Were martyred. Just John, who they tried to martyr, and then they sent him into isolation, into Patmos. But all of the rest were martyred. And so what does it mean? God doesn't promise you a trouble-free life. His ultimate objective for you is to bring you into a state in which you please him, in which you glorify him, in which you look more like Jesus Christ every day of your life. That is the result that God wants for you. And so sometimes we have to go through dark times. Sometimes we have to go through pitfalls. How do you think it was for Joseph being sold into slavery for 17 years, sitting there in a prison, uh, cut off from his family? What do you think he said? Oh, this is wonderful, because I know someday I'm going to be the prime minister of Egypt. <laughs> you know, that's not how God works. He tests you. He looks at your faith, even as he puts you through these times. The critically important thing is that we have to trust that God is doing a wonderful work in our life, even when we may not see it in the short term. His primary purpose is not to make us happy, healthy, wealthy, or wonderful. Okay? That's not the primary purpose of God. His primary purpose is to make you more like Jesus Christ and to glorify him in your life in every way. He is working now at the very best possible results for you in your life. He is looking to make you more like his son, to glorify him in every possible way. What a significant message this is about the wisdom of God. I pray that this grow in your heart and resonate in your heart as you commit yourself every day to getting closer to him. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this message. I ask you, Father, to help us resonate with us, <clears throat> draw us closer to you, and let us turn every aspect of our life over to you, Father, in every way. Prepare us now, Father, as we are about to go into communion. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.